This is Farfetched Threads, our people podcast, where you can hear the real stories about life as a farfetcher. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Farfetched Threads, our people podcast. My name is Fong Trong, and I am our Vice President of Retail and Geographic Expansion. Um, I work for Stadium Goods, which is also you know, a, a company within Farfetch organization. Um, and today I'll be speaking with two of my co-workers um, on the topic of um, racism and xenophobia against the Asian community um, and the social movement that we've now called Stop Asian Hate. Um, although my, my heart is really heavy around the topic of racism, bigotry uh, against the Asian community globally, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here with two of my peers today to discuss the current climate within the Asian community and to really give our listeners um, the Asian perspective on the social movement that has bound us all together, um, especially here today called Stop Asian Hate. Um, as a first-generation Vietnamese-American, it's, it's really one of the first times I've personally had a platform to share my own emotions and experiences around the topic of racism and discrimination within the Asian community and actually feel heard. So again, I'm really grateful to be here today, and I want to introduce you to my two co-workers who um, are here with us to have a discussion on the topic. Um, so I'd love to introduce... Uh, first, Lyle Lee. Um, Lyle, can you give us um, an intro and just give us some background about um, about you? Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, so, hi everyone. My name is Lyle Lee. I am currently the private client program coordinator for North America. Been with the company for about a year and a half. Um, really excited for this episode, and very grateful that Farfetch has allowed this platform to exist and for us to really tackles such a sensitive topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I'm also a uh, Chinese American. Thank you, Lyle. Um, and Je we also have Jeffrey on the line. So Jeffrey, can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hey guys. So my name is Jeffrey Aquino. I'm head of client development for Private Client North America. I've been with the company for about two years now. I'm Filipino, immigrated into this country in 1988. Um, and again, you know, similar to what Lyle just said, I'm very grateful to have this platform to talk about such a pressing topic. Guys, I, you know, really excited to have you both here, you know, today, you know, this is a topic that's very near and dear to all of our hearts, um, being of Asian descent and a, a huge part of the Asian community, you know, we, we've, we've gone together to really speak on everyone's behalf. And I think it's really important for people to know what the movement is. So. Can you explain to us, you know, what exactly is Stop Asian Hate? You know, what does that hashtag mean? And why is it so important today? Sure. I'm more than happy to tackle that first question. You know, Stop Asian Hate is a social movement that has recently gained traction over the last month or so, especially in response to just the uptick in hatred towards the Asian community. I don't think just across the U.S., but really across different regions around the globe. And the hashtag itself is a way for everyone to show solidarity towards the Asian community during this really, really tough time. And I think you alluded earlier um, that there really hasn't been that many opportunities for Asians to speak out about these sort of sensitive issue. So this is definitely 
the very first time, at least in my lifetime, that this is happening. Yeah, no, and you know, I think you know to put it simply, um, you know, this this movement has really gained traction, you know, via social media, via news outlets,、um, and I think it's important to note that you know, we since you know COVID nineteen started, you know, we're we're a year after now. Um, you know, stop Asian American Pacific Islander hate. You know, we we really started reporting as a community、um, on the you know the hate crimes that were happening against the Asian community globally because I don't think those statistics were really being captured right. So you know, I think when we talk about what's happening now,、um, it's it's important to shed some light into why now, right? So Jeffrey, you know, can you kind of share with us like why it's so important? Today and you know give us some color into you know where that all originated from and you know how long this has been going on for, because I think it's past just you know the the hashtag that developed a couple months ago. A- absolutely,、um, and you bring up a good point that this has been happening for much longer than what we've seen on social media as of late. I think、um, it's quite important to. Bring up, especially taking the first step in raising awareness for anti-Asian discrimination, is that there is a long history of anti-Asian American sentiment that even goes beyond being blamed for for the pandemic. You know, I'll give examples of the Chinese massacre in 1871, the plague in San Francisco in 1900. Japanese internment camps, even in Hollywood, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Mickey Rooney's character as Mr. Yunioshi, Anime Wong having to, you know, the first one of the first screen legends of Chinese descent having to minimize her roles in Hollywood and teach her white counterparts as leading ladies on how to play Asian roles. So these have long existed before the the hashtag Stop Asian Hate. Obviously, hashtags are new. In technology,、uh, but I think it's very, very important to to acknowledge that you know it's it's nothing new within our community. It is very important to talk about it now because of、um, the focused, targeted hate and violence towards our communities that has become this visceral newsreel day in day out in Chinatown communities from San Francisco to New York. To even Australia, you you know, so you see this, and and you ask yourself why, and it's derived from us being blamed for this global pandemic, you know,、um, and again taking it back to this has long existed. I, I I can't say that this is the fault of one person or this is the fault of one former. Leader, political leader. It's just the environment that it caused it. It's kind of like the perfect storm that caused it to congeal, that allowed people free reign to blame us as a community. And I'd like to say, you know,、uh, one of the silver linings of this now that I can identify is that we have come together as a community that we've ne- as we've never done before. I mean, it, it, we always you hear these things now. The Asian community is not a monolith. We're made up of over forty countries, and for the first time, I see it within my work community. I see it within my community outside of work. We're talking to our Asian brothers and sisters. So I think that is、um, one thing that I can identify that something that's coming out of this,、um, and you know, to to to. 
echo some slogans from the past, I think we are definitely stronger together. Um, and just bringing such awareness to this is a start. And then now we move on to action. Within the Asian community, you know, it, it takes people to acknowledge that there's a problem. We've all experienced our own level of racism and discrimination because we're Asian, right? I can personally say that that's, out, that's been amplified from my own personal experiences, whether a woman doesn't want to get into the elevator with me, be, but she gets into the elevator with a person who is, looks like her, right? And no, is it a blatant act of racism? I can't say that, right? But it's an emotion that you get and you kind of have to question it based off of the narrative that all Asians look alike, right? So because the virus originated in Wuhan, that all Chinese must have it. And because the Chinese have it, all Asians must have it, right? Because we're all the same. And I think that's what's so important here that we really need to share with people is, you know, when we talk about racism, discrimination, what does that feel like for an Asian person? You know, whether you're Chinese, you're Japanese, you're Korean, um, you're Asian American, you're 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 British Asian, you know, Canadian Asian, you know, what is what are some of those experiences? Because I think what we're talking about here is it's important now because we now have an audience. We now have a platform. We now have the opportunity to raise awareness and then bring about change so that, you know, we no longer have to experience these things in the future and our children don't have to experience these things in the future. Um, so, you know, I'd really love if you guys could kind of share some of your personal experiences, you know, with discrimination, with racism, with the topic that we're really talking about here. Sure, Fang. Um, absolutely. And I think before we even dive into what does discrimination look, look like, I really want to tackle the point of, you know, I think there's a perception and narrative that Asian people are typically quiet when it comes to just social activism in general. And why, you know, is that is that changing now in this very moment? And I and I want to talk about this because it's going to give a lot of context to just how we deal with discrimination on a daily basis. So something that might not be immediately apparent um, to people outside the community is that within Asian households, and maybe I'm speaking from my personal experience growing up in a Chinese household, there's always a sense of collectivism that everything I do and I really mean everything I do, especially when it comes to, let's say, school, when it comes to my job, when it comes to the way I conduct myself. It isn't just a representation of me as an individual. It always it goes back to my parents. So, for example, when I was younger, my mom always said, you know, we don't want to show up in the principal's office with you because that's an embarrassment. Or, you know, I try to take a risk on something. My parents would remind me. When you do this, remember all the sacrifice that we made for you. So whenever, I guess, Asian Americans, whenever we see all these sort of you know, intense emotional social issues going on, we tend to maybe stay on the sideline because of the fact that, you know, for me to speak out, let's like, let's say, let's say we didn't have this platform. Let's say I wasn't at a company that had an amazing culture. Let's say I speak out on a particular issue that wasn't popular. I might jeopardize my own career. And when I do that, it's not just for myself, it's also for my mom and dad. So I think that is at least what I think, one of many reasons why Asian Americans might stay silent 
for when it comes to topics of social activism and then also by extension whenever we face discrimination and and to your question what does discrimination look like for the asian community i was speaking to jeff early in the week and i think and i think he has a he has a really good metaphor that really helps to capture what does this feel like so jeff if you want to share this go ahead yeah absolutely lyle this was so powerful when I heard this the other day. Um, it actually followed us. This metaphor was followed by a story of microaggression from a client of mine. Um, but I'll just focus on on the metaphor. She said that Asian racism is like death by a thousand cuts. It's not one blow. And it's the little comments here and there um, that we endure and have endured that will cause us, that causes us so much pain in the end, you know? Absolutely. And, and I have like, you know, a plethora of examples. And I guess each one of those are little cuts that you alluded, that you alluded to. Um, just to give a little bit of context. So I always grew up in neighborhoods where my family was the only Asian family. And by extension, I happened to be the only Asian student at my middle school until my little sister joined me. But going back through my memories, uh, some things that stood out to me was, for example, uh, the first week of school, lunchtime, I bring my lunch and it's what my parents made for me, you know, and everyone else have their bag of chips and their Lunchables. Um, and all the kids would just look at me and say, what is that? Like, that looks weird. Obviously, some kids are curious, but then some kids really, you know, when you're like five, four years old, you really make a lot of insensitive comments. And I spoke about this with other colleagues who also grew up in environments when they are the the only Asian. And it's, it's something that's commonly shared. And the reaction is also very similar in that I went home and I told my mom, hey, I don't want this tomorrow. I like, don't cook a dish for me tomorrow. Like, can we go to the, the deli and just get this, you know, get something off the fridge so I can heat up in the cafeteria and at the time, it seems really, really harmless. But looking back, you know, if we really want to dig deeper into the psyche of it, I think little me was actually making a sort of decision between my own culture and peer pressure. And I feel myself making that same sort of decision again and again as I you know, got older in different social situations. Other examples of just little aggressions. Um, once I got older, I started dating. And because I grew up, you know, in environments where I was the only Asian, um, a lot of my sort of experiences when it comes to dating has been outside my own race. And more than once, I, I hear compliments that are kind of hard to swallow. And what I mean is pretty much the extent of Lyle you're kind of cute or you're really cute for an Asian guy. And when I received that sort of comment, it's, I, I, I'm very confused because I'm trying to, you know, see the best in people. And I'm like, you know, is it because you've never been exposed to my culture or been around people who look like me? You know, is it, it are you saying this because you're unaware or are you saying this because you want to be, you know, hurtful or exert some sort of dominance? So the, that's another example of a cut. And I think another one would be after I joined the workforce, you know, I, I introduced myself as Lyle Lee and some people asked, you know, okay, cool. Like, what's your actual name? 
and then I say Lyle Lee, and I know that you know it stems from the idea that a lot of Asians would replace their first name uh, with a more Americanized name in order to make things easier. So I think those are just a few examples of little things I experienced over the years. Very little aggressions along the way. Yeah, you know, and I think it's you know when we talk about you know these these topics, you know, it's I can listen to your experience, and again, you know, me being Vietnamese American, my parents immigrated here when I was two, right? So I was my family was also the only you know Asian family. I was the only Asian person in my school, except for my brother who was two years older, and it it is assimilation, right? It is a bit of You know, it's not always so direct. You know, in in you know when we talk about hate crimes right now, you know, of course we're seeing what's happening in the news with elderly people being attacked. You know, with you know the women being murdered in Atlanta, it's it's different. You know, it doesn't have to be that extreme for those acts to exist. And I think that's really what we talk about when it comes to microaggressions. And you know, Jeffrey, your 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 theory in terms of just Asian racism is is really like a thousand cuts because we're experiencing a thousand different microaggressions that people aren't even. I don't think they're even aware when they say the things that they say how hurtful it is, right? Absolutely, yeah, a- absolutely. And I think you know, going back to your question earlier, why now? I think there is just so many last straws in the past couple of weeks that really um, caused us to. You know, f- f- coalesce and get behind stop a- stop Asian hate. You know, just hearing Lyle Lyle's experience or in- and yours is quite triggering for me right now, um, because you know if if I'm honest, be- before this podcast, I started to question my own Asian identity identity entering this, and just now hearing you and Lyle speak about this, I it finally clicked. Me doubting my Asian experience is a direct result of my experience as an immigrant in the late '80s, early '90s. Here, that I just really tried my best to assimilate, and in that, I ultimately denied a lot of my heritage. You know, so now saying I ask myself, well, how Asian is my experience? It's because I think I turned away a lot of my own heritage. So that I wouldn't feel the pain, um, and uh, so that I wouldn't be in fear of being discriminated against. I mean, I just remember now, as in elementary school, being called every Asian racial pejorative that you can think of, things that I had no idea what the meaning of of it were, you know. And then fast forward to being an adult and you have these cultures and then having to identify with the LGBTQ community and experiencing racism there from going on dating apps and seeing things like um, strictly no Asian femmes. I mean, what the, what the hell does that even mean? You know, you, you know? Um, so in that it's just, it, it's, it's painful to hear this even now. Um, even my my family's experience with this, you know? Yeah, no, and I think, you know, that's kind of what bound us all here, right? Is I think our level of, you know, hurt and anger and sadness because these topics aren't talked about. And for the longest, and, and again, I don't I don't have very many Asian friends. I, I don't, I, I think I have two Asian friends. I, I can't even tell you right now because I, it's it's so new for me, you know? And I think I haven't even 
I, I shed it away from Asian community. You know, like I used to hate going to Chinatown with my family when they went food shopping because the it, I was so shamed of being Asian that I didn't want to be around other Asian people, right? And that's so harmful, right? And for myself and over the last, you know, my adult life, I've gone through therapy and I've gone through really understanding who I am as a person and acknowledging the Vietnamese side of me, right? And owning that and learning how to, going back to cooking that food because similar to Lyle, when I was younger, I wanted American food. I wanted a cheeseburger. I wanted steak, you know, like I wanted stuffed shells, Italian food. I wanted things that my parents weren't cooking because all of my friends had that. So I think, you know, when we talk about these microaggressions, you know, this is the little kid coming up to you and holding their eyes back to make it them, you know, to say that your eyes are chinky, right? Or asking, coming up and saying hello to you in Chinese or asking you how to say hello in Chinese. And you're like, I don't know because I don't speak Chinese. I'm Vietnamese, right? Or asking you if you like sushi. It's, you know, again, I've never had sushi in my life when I was younger. And that was so foreign to me because they don't understand that that's a Japanese cuisine. So it's it's really just the overall lumping of Asians as a monolith that becomes very harmful. And again, these microaggressions, although they aren't always acts of hate, acts of violence, there are microaggressions that are forms of harassment, right? That are forms of discrimination, shunning, child bullying. Um, and I think it's it's really important for people to know that because if they don't, they just think that we're the model minority, right? So we're as privileged. Um, and I'd love to kind of talk about the model minority myth. You know, if you, you guys can kind of elaborate for our audience what that is and how you guys have experienced that and how harmful, you know, that myth can be for our community. So glad you brought it up. The model minority, um, I mean, it's, I mean, the primary example of a model minority, let's say in the Asian sense, is immigrant household, mom and dad, you know, don't have that much of an education. They bootstrap themselves on the way up, send their kids to school, you know, save every single penny. Kids go to school, top of their class in middle school, top of their class in high school, go on to an Ivy college, graduate, uh, have a comfortable job in the office, um, no longer doing manual labor. Um, have white picket fence in a suburb, you know, generational success. The kind of American story you really, really just want to, you know, put up for the whole world to see. And, you know, to be honest, there are a good deal of Asian American families that do fit into that mold. But the, I think the very damaging part of it, and I think this echoes back to things we already touched upon, you know, there is this lifelong process of of shutting away and hiding certain aspects of of our identity and when it comes to being a model minority you have this pressure of making sure that everything looks looks perfect that you're holding up a house of cards and here's what i mean whenever you know i experience those sort of like micro moments um i have a very very aggressive personality i got i'm very much assertive and i always want to speak out i always want to you know challenge people and when I was younger, I told my parents, I want to challenge someone on this and that. They always tell me, stop, redirect your energy towards something more productive. If someone calls you, you know, ching chong, whatever, don't say anything back. Put your energy towards school, be the top of your class, let your success speak for you. And, you know, 
it does work. Um, I'm very grateful that my parents' advice in the long term has panned out in that, you know, I'm able to live a stable life. But what it does is that you sort of suppress all these feelings inside of you so much so that it gives us a false impression to everyone else that nothing is wrong with your life. And I think the hardest part during the last few weeks has been I called up certain, certain friends of mine who I've known for years and years. And on more than one occasion, they say, you know, Asians are pretty well off in America. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit of disbelief, like, because I'm like, you know, have I, have I done a really bad job at expressing everything that bothers me? Or do you really think that this is the best a minority group can get in America? So those are things I sort of struggle with. Um, I just think that we hold up this sort of image of being perfect that it really makes us look like Superman and Superwoman when we are human. And I think this is the first time that we're acknowledging that we are human and everyone else is seeing it too. Um, yeah, I mean, I can also talk about the professional sense, but if you guys have something to touch on, on the personal aspect of it, go ahead. Yeah, I, um, I couldn't agree with you more on, on this topic, um, which is very new to me as well, the whole model minority myth. It's easy to conflate the Asian community with things like we see Bling Empire or the number one drivers in the luxury market, especially in our industry and perfect students, etc. But just looking at the facts now, you know, almost 15% of Asian girls between the ages of six and 17 lived in poverty in 2012. Asian American veterans are among the oldest that have the least education amongst all racial race, racial groups. You know, it's just things like this that I had no idea of. And can you imagine if I don't, if I didn't know this, the masses definitely don't look to us as someone that's targeted because of our race. So I think we'd be remiss not to kind of point these facts out if we are to progress in this cause, you know? I, I, no, Jeff, I, I totally agree. And it, it's almost like the image that pe that's popular to promote is the minority myth, but they don't acknowledge the low income households that do exist in, you know, even in Chinatown. Like those victims that we see getting attacked, like they come from households that, let's say the perpetrators, they don't feel like, oh, they have the resources to leverage legal cases against us. So they feel like they are vulnerable. Like people don't highlight that Asian Americans, it is an entire spectrum across, you know, all of our nationalities and across even like vertically all of our income groups. So thank you so much for pointing that out, Jeff. It, it to totally. And I mean, we're taught to, 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 to be quiet work hard, build a future for yourself. Our parents, you know, it's our, our parents were, I, I mean, I, my, my, my parents had it pretty rough. They, they came here to, to, to seek a better life, just like a lot of other Asian immigrants. And, you know, the last thing that they wanted to deal with was their son getting in trouble or being loud or, you know, calling people out. Um, I, I've also heard of this sentiment of why we're silent that also comes from that whole immigrant mentality of just put your head down and trudge forward that you know most Asians are quiet because we're just happy to have a seat at the table. I can definitely relate to that. 
Well, Jeffrey, I think that's also too just culturally, right? Like yeah, when you think absolutely. about when you think about you know the Asian cultures and Asian, you know, I can speak to Vietnamese. I can speak with my experience with you know Chinese people, you know Japanese cultures. You know, working internationally, you learn that there's different cultural norms, right? So in America, we give everyone hugs and kisses when we see them, you know, pre-COVID. But you know, we're very embracing. We're very warm. We talk to everybody. We're engaging. But you know, when you go to other countries, that's not standard, right? It's it's more conservative. It's more distant.、Um, it's very quiet. It's reserved. You know, you don't really talk back to your managers. You know, you don't really give your opinions. You just keep your head down and you do what you're told to do, right? And that's how our parents were raised. So when we talk about you know being from immigrant descent. They were raised off of that, so you know I'm first generation, so I'm raised very differently than my parents were. Some of the things that I do, my mother's mind is blown. But I think that's again, like you know, part of it is yes, it's a cultural understanding. I think what's harmful about that is the model minority myth in general has created. Again, a monolith for all Asians, right? And without people really undertaking the time to understand our cultural upbringing, right? We're just we're we're quiet because that's how we were raised. And again, not an excuse, right? Like we've all learned now that no, if we want to advocate, which is why we're all on this podcast, then we need to use our voices if we want to see change, right? If we if we want to take act, we have to kind of change our cultural norm. And I think that's what most of us have. Been Been trying to do and finding the courage to do, but I think you know the bigger thing, the bigger educational part here is that people in general need to acknowledge that just because you've seen successful, affluent, wealthy Asians does not mean we are all affluent, wealthy, and well off, right? And that doesn't mean that because this person is treated well because they might have wealth and status. That doesn't mean that all of us have that same experience, right? Because beneath racism, there's a whole topic of classism, right? But I think what gets ignored here is, again, the diversity of Asian American cultures, right? That the myth that we're all foreigners, right? That you just you, because you you are Asian that you you must have immigrated here and you have that immigrant mentality because. You are successful because you've worked so hard to get to where you are, or and it overall just—I mean, it it erases racism against Asians because they assume because you see successful Asians, we're all successful, and we know that that's not true. Absolutely, you wrapped and, it up so beautifully. You put the lid right on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, look, it's it's important because、yeah. you know I think we're not all the same, and I think that's really what we have to get through to everybody listening here because we have experiences, and I think what's been upsetting for me personally is other other. We've been pitted against other social movements, right? So, stop Asian hate has been pitted against Black Lives Matters, and you know, in but really, the we're we're all facing the same problem, right? Where it's racism. They're not the same because the acts of racism and discrimination are going to be different amongst races and amongst individuals. Your experiences are different than my experiences, and I think that's what we really need to address, right? Like. 
when we when we talk about anti-Asian racism, we need to work to end all forms of structural sure. racism. And that's against all communities of color, you know, black, indigenous, Asian. You know, we're really looking for an end to white supremacy. And, you know, that include that includes all races that are non-white. So and the and the specificities don't detract from the experiences exactly. of any respective race is very important to note here. No, thank you guys for sharing. Like, I, I feel like I learned so much just from this conversation alone. Well, you know, we covered a lot, you know, within the, the last few moments. And I, I think it's a great moment to really take a pause and allow our listeners to digest, you know, everything that we just talked about. Um, you know, thank you both so much for such a great start to this conversation. Um, around the topic of Stop Asian Hate. I, you know, I think to everyone listening, make sure you join us for part two of the conversation where we'll really discuss how we're tackling these issues specifically at Farfetch. Um, you know, we can tell you a little bit more about our Farfetch, Farfetch East Network um, and really provide advice for any of our allies who want to support the Asian community at this time. Thanks for listening. Make sure you never miss an episode of Farfetch Threads by subscribing to our Spotify and Farfetch People YouTube channel. If you're ready to do what's never been done, visit farfetchcareers.com 